with Ron. This man carries in his body the bullets. He carries in his body the pain. I've been shot twice, not just in service to his country downrange, but in service to his country at home in uh, working with our customs and undercover agent. I'm just thrilled to have you here, Ronnie, and uh, I enjoyed the time together with you this week. I can go on and on. There's so many people in this room that I have known from the past, but the folks I've learned to love in the present, I mean, I was on the river with the pastor's daughter-in-law and son and their beautiful grandchildren, and right on the, right on the Snake River, can you believe that? right on that waterfront. And I met a, a lady named Honey, and she's a singer, and her husband, and one of their associate musicians and singers. Some of the greatest music I've ever heard, I left there. I now have two albums of that magnificent woman, and I can't wait to get them plugged in. I didn't know, I, didn't, I thought I had a CD player in my motor coach. There's not one in it, and I got back and I started looking, I can't find a CD player. So I've got to wait until I get a CD player to get to enjoy more of her music. But I can go on and on and on of the events this week when the women in this church put me on their prayer list Wednesday. I dare, I double dog, I triple dog dare the devil mess with me now. I got the women at Valley praying for me. I was listening to that song about I'm surrounded by by God. I remember the story of the, of the captain that sent his scout out and his scout came back and said, Captain, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. The enemy's before us. The enemy's on our left flank. The enemy is on our right flank. The enemy is on our rear flank. We are totally surrounded. And the captain said, great, the enemy shall not escape. <laughs> and that's the way I feel after the prayer those women prayed for me on Wednesday. And then Saturday morning with the men of Idaho, the men's men. I'll tell you, we had a time together. What more can a guy ask for than to be loved and be given a chance to share and minister than what you've given me here? And it comes down to one guy, your pastor. And I'm indebted to you, sir. And he insisted I quit calling him sir or pastor or, but he's, he's more than Lynn to me. He's a man of God. And uh, so thank you all. Today's a very special day in my life uh, in more ways than you might know. Today is my wife's birthday. And uh, I, it's the first birthday she has experienced in heaven. So I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but uh, she's always been a threat to me. <laughs> she's mysterious, and I never figured her out. And she made sure of that. If I even got close, she would change, and then I found out it was intentional. But throughout our relationship, I met her when I was 16, and I fell, I mean, I just, I lost, I flipped head over heels in love with that girl, and I asked her to marry me, my f first date with her, and she slapped me, and 
She said, I, I was 16, and she said, I'm only 13 years old. <laughs> I said, you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> and she slapped me again. And that's all very true because she, we got off to a rough start. You thought my injury was in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, we had a rough start, but uh, her dad wouldn't let us get married till she graduated. And uh, we got married. And then I got drafted. And I joined the Navy so I wouldn't get hurt in the Army. <laughs> I got up one morning and had a bad decade. But she saw me through all that. She worked through all that with me. And while I was in Vietnam, she worked at Allstate Insurance. And her coworker, knowing that I was in the war, tried to date my wife. And uh, I found out when I came home what he had done. So I got even with him. I, I buy State Farm Insurance. Yeah, showed him, didn't I? And then after I was injured and in the hospital, my medic tried to—he tried to take my—he was stalking her. She was really quite a beautiful woman, and all these guys just had eyes for her. And she told me one day, she said, "Baby, I was in intensive care," and she said, "Baby, he won't leave me alone. I don't know what to do." I said, "Well, I do." I know what to do. Don't worry, I got you covered. I got it. So that night, I, I took real fast, deep, real, you know, real quick breaths and uh, hyperventilated, and I set off the alarm. And he came running in there, and then I started mumbling, and he wanted to hear what I was saying. He got his ear right down by my mouth, and I bit him. <laughs> A true story. I bit that boy. I locked down on his ear, and through the clenched teeth, I said, "You touch her, and I'll kill you." <laughs> I guess he thought I'd choke him with the hose that was in my nose, but it scared him. He never came back on that ward again. He transferred off. I won't go on this forever, but there was a third guy, and he was our, he, he was our professor at the university we attended. Uh, after I got out of the hospital, I went, we went, I went back to college, and so did she. And uh, he brought her flowers. He was trying to woo my wife. I never met him. Uh, he was her professor at, at the same school we went to, but uh, he saw me one day and figured if, if I survived, the other guy didn't. And he didn't, decided he wouldn't tangle with me, and he left us alone, never bothered again. And then finally, there was the fourth guy. And uh, the problem with him was he really did love her. He, he, just, he was like me. He just couldn't take his eyes off of her. And... Uh, he brought her gifts that I couldn't afford, and he opened doors for her. He loved her. And he got her. He took her. She ran off with him. But I got his name and his address. I did. His name's Jesus. He took her to a place called heaven. So, he said if I was a really good boy, he'd give her back one day, and so I'm going to be a really good boy. All that said, on this, my sweetheart's birthday, I'm glad 
I'm in the church that she told me she loved more than any place she'd ever been. Here. What is with you people? I tell you, it's not what's with you, it's who's with you. Don't lose what you've got. Don't lose it. Cherish it, protect it, harbor it, defend it. And the world will beat a path to your doorstep to be loved like I've been loved in this house. Thank you. And now I've said all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to move forward. And I'm very happy today to finally have the rest of my team here. They started out last week, but after the engine part blew up on that big truck out there, not, not the motor coach, but on the vehicle they were driving, bringing up equipment for next week, they ended up having to get a whole new turbocharger put on that big Ram truck out there. They got in last evening. And now I feel complete again because for 31 years, this lady has been, for my wife and I, she's been my associate evangelist. She and her husband have been the two most precious friends I could ever have. And you're about to meet, to me, an all-star hitter. Would you welcome Kathy Wampler? Come on, Kathy. Oh, yeah, I knew, I knew you'd do that. She is a sweetheart, and I'm going to ask her to do a couple of things. I'm going to ask you to not just sing this morning. Uh, I was nine years, as Pastor mentioned, I was with Dr. Graham, and for nine years I was mentored by him, and I spoke in all the crusades on Monday night for 20 minutes. And I'd speak to crowds to 100,000, 200,000, and I got used to big crowds. It didn't bother me at all. And one of the reasons I was so comfortable was because there was a routine that went in every crusade. It was a routine. I got used to that routine, so it didn't matter what was in front of me. It's who was behind me that mattered. And uh, uh, every time George Beverly Shea would sing How Great Thou Art, I, all my butterflies went away. And uh, what happened was they didn't go away. I just got my butterflies to fly in formation. And... Uh, I learned from him, take your music with you wherever you go. Always have your own music, no matter how wonderful and great the music is. And boy, y'all have got the best here. And I even like your drummer. I don't know what the bulletproof glass is. But he seemed good to me. But I learned if I bring the music that is my routine, what I'm comfortable with, no matter what situation I'm in, I take the podium with a whole lot more confidence. Well, this has been my confidence builder for over 30 years. And uh, I wanted to share some thoughts with you. And then I've asked her to sing a particular song, one that Brenda loved the most. And I hope you'll give her the same love you've given me. She and her husband, David, are worthy of the gift of the love that you have so graciously bestowed on so many. Kathy, talk to him a little bit and then sing. Would you do that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is truly a joy to be here. I, I know we've, Dave said all the accolades, but let me just add one thing to it. In our 31 years of traveling with Dave's ministry, last year when he was here, my husband and I were not able to be here with him. But for one year, 
<laughs> All Dave has talked to me about is y'all. <laughs> we go to a lot of great churches, and there's a lot of churches we fall in love with. But there's not a whole lot that Dave talks to me about for one year. <laughs> so there was even a point in trying to get up here that we were saying, you know, the truck broke down, Dave, maybe, you know, if, if you don't need us to come all that way, we can meet you at the next stop. Oh, no, 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 you're coming to Caldwell. Oh, no, you are, no, you're getting up here to Caldwell. <laughs> I think he'd have been happy if we'd have drove in just now, just rushed through the door in our travel clothes, and <laughs> here we are. But he loves you so much, and you do truly hold a special place in his heart, like very few other places that we go to. And that 31 years for me, and he's done it longer than that, that, that says a whole lot. And I can say after being here just this morning, I see what he sees in you because I felt it in the handshakes and the hugs and the smiles and the worship. And so he's right. Just keep it up. But anyway, what I want to share before I sing is this. Uh, we were recently riding our motorcycles through a beautiful scenic place in Colorado. And we passed a particular area that there was a sign on the side of the highway and it said, prison area, do not pick up hitchhikers. Have you seen those signs when you travel? Okay, well, here's the deal. I don't make it a habit, personally, of picking up hitchhikers. It's kind of not my... God would really, truly have to say, you know, Kathy, stop and pick up a... I just don't. But the one time I did, the one time I stopped and picked one up, when he got in the car, he asked me if I was worried that he might be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> to which I replied to him, it is highly unlikely there are two in the same car at the same time. <laughs> All of the sudden, he didn't want to ride. He, you know, he, he wanted out. He wanted me to take him back to the prison. That's a joke. That didn't happen. I, I didn't pick up. But as I passed this, this highway on the road, I began to think about the sign. And I was thinking to myself, how silly. You know, I, I don't need a sign to tell me that. I don't pick up hitchhikers because if I do, I'm going to have to give them a place to stay. I'm going to have to feed them. I'm going to have to do something with them and they might hurt me. And, you know, this list of things went through my mind of all the reasons why I would never do it. But as I kept going down the road, this thought crossed my mind. Kathy, how many times do you pick up spiritual hitchhikers? Depression, fear, worry doubt, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, the list goes on. Everybody has their own list that's going through your mind. The things that you pick up spiritually and you give them a free ride and you give them a place to lodge right there in your heart and then you feed them because you watch the news and you listen to all the opinions and you read all the books. Instead of getting our mind on Jesus Christ and taking those little hitchhikers right back to prison, the Bible tells Amen. us to bring our thoughts captive. Amen? Amen. Amen. And in the scripture in Isaiah, it tells us that he will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. If my mind is stayed on him, it can't be attached to those hitchhikers. That's right. So guess who gets to choose where I put my mind? Me. I get to choose with God's help and him helping me do it. I get to choose where to think, what to think about. And so today I am choosing to think about the good things and I'm choosing to keep my mind on him and know that he will keep me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed on him. And guess what? When we're in perfect peace and our eyes are on him, no matter what this world looks like, no matter your circumstances, I don't care what they are, no matter what they are, you can say, it is well with my soul. Amen. Is it well with your soul today? Amen. It can be well with your soul today.
Thank you, Kathy. I'm going to get her to help me do a little tiny bit of business in church. I don't like to do that, but we'll do it to let you know her albums are out there. She has three of them. 
Be sure and pick one up or all three of them on your way out. She would appreciate it if you'd pay for them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Also available on DVD is a, 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 a how long is that? About 45 about minutes? 40, 40 minutes. minutes? A full presentation of my story. But it's done technically so well, I think you'll enjoy watching it. And it was one of my better presentations, if I can be arrogant in saying that. Uh, it's the whole story. And it was done at a church in Fort Worth called Gateway with one of my dearest friends in ministry, Robert Morris. You'll find it to be something you'll not only enjoy watching, but you'll be proud to show your friends. And it can easily bring them to Christ if they don't know the Lord. Also available is a book I have not colored in yet. <laughs> It's called Scarred. It's an autobiography, and it has been updated to my work with the Department of Defense today throughout the Middle East, and it shows the fingerprint of God from the earliest days of my memory to the most current days of God using tragedies to turn into triumph in the lives of so many of our warriors around the world in military. Also a book called War and Recovery. This is a compilation of short stories. You can read it very much like a devotional. And I call it from the mission field to the battlefield, how God takes those moments in our lives that are so terrible and turns it around to use it for good. And, and I have a scripture in every story that will take that same principle and apply it into your life as a civilian, which is the reason I wrote it. I wanted you to understand that you don't have to go to war to get hurt. I went to war and got hurt and came back with a purple heart. You went to divorce court maybe and got hurt and came back with a broken heart and a broken washer. And the ex got the dryer, and it worked. Because life's not fair, is it? And that's why I wrote that book. And I think you'll love it. So it's available. And then our wonderful shirt that we had last trip, and I think if you haven't washed yours, you can just buy another one. <laughs> Operation Warrior Reconnecting, our beautiful logo on the back. And on the right shoulder, very significantly, is the forward-moving American flag with the stars leading the stripes, indicating we do not retreat. We're in advance against the enemy, and we'll never retreat. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, this morning, I'm going to do something that I, I haven't done, and I can't tell you when. I'm going to stand to speak, although if I choose to sit down, it won't be because I'm going to compromise my ambition to stand. It's because sometimes... I like to feel the comfort of sitting with you. We don't stand at the feet of Jesus. We sit at the feet of Jesus. There's a comfort zone. And as I was contemplating this morning, I, I, I didn't even want to stool on the platform because I didn't want to be tempted. And yet I'm standing here without uh, my back hurting me. I broke it in Iraq in 2010 uh, in a silly jump out of a helicopter and I hit wrong and my feet went off one I broke my back when I sat down so hard it shattered six vertebrae and they put in 12 screws and two rods which I'm an inch taller <laughs> I guess that's okay <laughs> but I've I've grown so comfortable to sit with the audiences for the last many years if I choose to do that I want you to know why I'm doing it because there are times I just want to sit with you and there's some things I want to sit with you about today I want us to sit at the feet of Jesus. And in doing so, I'm going to share a scripture with you that comes, if you have your iPhones, turn with me. <laughs> now that right there is funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> this, uh, this scripture was actually 
mentioned by your wonderful keyboard artist. That that guy can play that machine, let me tell you. He's good. But uh, I got this scripture that I'd like to share with you from 2 Corinthians, as Donald Trump used to call it, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and the last five words of verse 3. Listen to these last five words. The God of all comfort. Say those words with me. The God of all comfort. All is an amazing word. It's inclusive of everything. There's no exception. All is everything. So there is not a distress that he does not have a comfort for. All comfort is available through him. Uh, sitting in front of me is a man that I mentioned earlier, and he stood, who in, on August the 1st will commemorate the saddest day of his life when his son and his grandson's lives were lost in a tragic accident. This man has learned what comfort is. He has learned and taught me what comfort is. And that's important for you to understand because what I'm about to read is the fourth verse. And listen carefully. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all, there's that word again, not some of, lots of, most of, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any, and that is inclusive of you name it, and that trouble that they're in or you're in, God has a comfort for through us, whereby we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, that word comfort keeps popping up. That's a big word. And we need to find out what that word really means. And I'm going to put that on pause, and I'm going to take you to Vietnam for a little short trip, all right? I'm going to actually start at Love Field in Dallas, Texas. That's where I kissed my little junior high school sweetheart, my precious little wife, goodbye. And when I kissed her goodbye, she, she didn't have to deal with a blubbering, crying husband. I was man's man. I'm tough, you know. No tears from Dave. You already saw how tough I am. I turned and walked away proud of myself for five steps. <laughs> and at about the fifth step, she called my name. The term endearment, the term of endearment, Davy. She didn't call me David. When she calls me David, I just go to the nearest corner I know she's about to send me to. <laughs> she said, Davy. And before I could stop and turn around, in a normal process of just stop and turn around, tears burst over the dam of all my resistance, and my lower lid could not hold back the tears. And I looked at her with tears in my eyes, mad at myself, and I said, what? And she asked me the question that has haunted me all these years since. Davy, are you coming back? Which opened my mind to a memory that we were instructed that we would have the highest killed in action per capita in the war. You can't prove it. Because if they don't recover a body, you're not killed in action even though they know you're dead. You're MIA, missing in action. Am I right, Roger? The SEAL teams, the special dive vehicle teams, and what we used to be called the Brownwater Black Beret, today we're called the special boat teams. All three are trained at and based out of Naval Amphibious Base Coronado, California. And that's the group I was with, was the Brownwater Black Beret. And we had such a mass number of our guys killed that listed as missing in action, you can't verify my words. But I knew the truth. 
We had been told. We were prepared. And when she said, are you coming back? I did something I had not done before. You see that big crack in my teeth? I lied right through it. I looked at her and said, I'll be back without a scar. And when I said it, I felt a chill up my spine. And I realized I just made a promise I couldn't keep. And I walked away from her with that echoing in my head. I'll be back without a scar. Then I realized later on, many, many months later, God was probably preparing me at that moment for what was yet to come. And it was in a subtle way that I would not have thought about it in a threatening way. I wouldn't have thought about, well, God, you just told me I'm going to be hurt. I'm not going that way. It never even entered my mind. But later on, I started putting two and two together. And on July the 26th, 1969, yes, teenager. That's right after the War of 1812. <laughs> Youth is wasted on the young. That's not my quote, but it was funny, wasn't it? On that day, I broke that promise. On that day, those words of, I'll be back without a scar, rang through my memory and echoed through the halls and chambers of my conscience because I realized for the first time in our marriage, and 53 years later, the only time in our marriage I ever made a promise to her I did not keep. And I realized that day what had happened. I didn't know what happened, what caused it. I just knew that I had lost that image of her handsome young prince and had turned into the frog. Helicopter landed to pick me up, and there's a lot of information there that time won't permit, but when I jumped in the river, the water would not extinguish the white phosphorus fire that burned my flesh. And I'm told, although I had no thermometer, but I think you can look it up online and verify it. I guess you can. I've not even tried to do that. But uh, that phosphorus burns at twice the heat necessary to melt the engine out of your car, about 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Imagine what that do to your body. Imagine. When the hand grenade I was holding exploded, a bullet went through the back of my hand and was detonated and detonated the hand grenade. I don't know who or where the sniper was. He only took one shot to my knowledge. I didn't even know it was a sniper. I thought I was hit by a B-40 anti-tank rocket propelled grenade. I was later on in the hospital when they forensically decided what had happened. But that day, Everything I had ever believed, everything I'd ever been told, everything I'd ever prayed, my faith, everything regarding the spiritual man was put to the test of my lifetime to that point. And I felt zero pain. I felt absolutely nothing. The moment the grenade exploded, I went into shock. I felt nothing as God is my witness. I have no recollection of any pain at that moment. But by the time I swam across the river, and my skin was all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> you like that, Wes? That's pretty good, isn't it? You like this one better. I needed to pull myself together. I was on the bank of that river. I saw the damage. This hand was severed in half. These three fingers that don't work, they're curled up permanently. And this thumb were hanging by tendons. And I was pumping blood out of the open heart. But look here. That was the only finger that still worked. And uh, my left thumb was blown off. They made that out of my hip. 
I don't suck my hip. <laughs> I'll tickle myself here in a minute. I saw all this damage, but I couldn't see my face. The last time I saw my face was on my boots. And on the bank of that river, I couldn't see what was left on, on what used to be my face. I fell over backwards just at seeing what I saw was so overwhelming. And I, I laid on my back and the helicopter came to pick me up. And it was called a dust off. Still call that today. They landed the helicopter, rolled me on the stretcher. I was still burning. Water will not extinguish phosphorus. I was still burning. And I caught my stretcher on fire and it ripped open and I fell on my head right through the... You ever have one of those days? <laughs> they rolled me up in a wet blanket, got me on another stretcher in the helicopter where we go, and about 1,500 feet, and that's just a guess, the pain hit. And I'm going to tell you folks, when it hit, if you'd taken a baseball bat and just beat me to death with it, you couldn't hurt me more. To that point in my life, all the pain from the birth canal to every experience I'd ever had that was painful, all put together, wrapped up in one moment, could not exceed the feeling that surged through my body of half my skin burned off me. And I don't mean blistered. What wasn't burned off was blown off. 60 pounds of my flesh went up in smoke in a matter of seconds. And I kept both legs, Lord. What does a leg weigh? You know, that's one of the heaviest parts of your body. It's the largest limbs of your body is your legs. I kept both legs and arms, and 60 pounds of my flesh was burning, blown off that day. When they, uh, they got me to Saigon, ultimately, they put me on a big jet, flew me to Japan. It was a big hospital jet. In Japan, I very stupidly asked for a mirror, and they very stupidly brought it. I looked up in the glass, and I saw what was left. And I knew she couldn't love me. I knew it. There's no teenage girl face to the earth love a freak like I saw in that mirror. And I decided I didn't want an open casket. So I didn't want to go home alive. And I didn't have a gun or knife, so I pulled the tube and laid my head back and waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> Wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled lunch that day. You can die that way, but it's going to take a while. And if you smell a pizza, you're singing, plug it in, plug it in. Because <laughs> I did not want to die, but I didn't want to live. And I was caught in that limbo state between the rock and the hard spot, proverbially speaking. And I did not want her to see me. But my punishment was they canceled her flight to come escort my dead body home. They canceled, and they said, we're going to send you home. That was my punishment. I was thinking... Well, fire away, boys. Send me home. Because I knew I'd never live through that flight. But they got me to America alive. They put me at Brook Army Medical Center 60 surgeries ago, and the last one was just before the pandemic shutdown of our country. Surgery number 50 was 12 hours long. Nine doctors, as they rebuilt my face, they actually offered me the face of another man that had died and given his body to, to Brook Army Medical Center. I looked at his face and I decided he's uglier than I was. <laughs> it always amazes me when people uglier than me say, what happened to your face? And I say, what happened to your mother? <laughs> you know you're ugly when they slap your mom when you're born. <laughs> Y'all are pretty quick. You're, I can tell you're listening. 
I throw my humor out there to test to see if you catch it. But uh, they got me to Brook Army Medical Center, and they put me before a med board. That's a medical board of doctors. I'm going to sit down a minute and share this with you. This medical board, they determine your disability on the basis of what you had and now because of your injury don't have anymore or what doesn't work even though you've got it that worked before. And I'm going to illustrate this for you. I want you to watch. Each finger had a percent of disability. My thumb was more disability than my index finger or my pinky. This thumb gone was more than the thumb that was left even though it didn't work. The eyelids blown off were a big, big disability. The ear blown off, big disability. It was, yeah, it was blown off. It fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica some years ago. I didn't know it fell off. It was glued on and just sweated off. And I didn't, I knew something was wrong. The whole crowd, 10,000 Jamaicans doing this. They're sucking air like a Hoover, wide-eyed, not blinking, not breathing. It's going to be Jonestown without the Kool-Aid. Oh, I got to do something quick. And I looked. I thought my fly was open. That's why I thought. I checked. It's fine. I look around. My ear was laying on my shoulder. I picked it up, dried the sweat, and stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. That's a true story. I couldn't tell them it was a phony ear. They thought I was a phony preacher and stoned me. And Pastor Lynn, I talked about it. He said, don't tell them that story. They don't want to know that you went to Jamaica and got stoned. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> My hair was blown off in Vietnam. It was blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. So I have a hair piece, and I, I got a lot of parts. I put them on the bed one night, and Brenda said goodnight, and I was in the other room. <laughs> that was a joke, too. That didn't happen. I'll tell you when it's a joke. When I, if, I, if I say, if I don't tell you it's a joke, it's for real, all right? And that, that day they started adding up my disability. You know what it came to? 240% permanent and total disability and unemployable. That's what they told me. The Navy only pays you for 100%, right, guys? Where's the justice in that? The VA says you're 240%, and the Army only pays you for 100 But here's the story. They said I'm unemployable. Well, I want you to look. See these fingers that don't work? Now watch this. It's a mic stand. And look here, look here. A preaching finger. Repent! I'm employable. I have a job. I'm an evangelist. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you're saying, what's that got to do with comfort one another with them there words of comfort y'all got from heaven? I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to read for you the definition of comfort from the Greek. Yes, I do know a little Greek. He's about that tall, runs a pizza shop in Chicago. <laughs> I'm lit up this morning. It's your fault. If you didn't like me, I'd, I wouldn't be so stupid. I'm going to read for you the definition of comfort. Persuasive discourse. Stirring address. Instruction, admonition, conciliation, powerful oratory and discourse. 
Where's all that poor little guy you got hurt so bad? You're 100%. You're total disabled and you're unemployable. Where in the world did that come from? I'm going to tell you something, saints. My first language, by the way, was Spanish. I didn't learn English until I was six years old. My mother was invalid because of my birth. Before me, she had two kids and never had a problem. She had no problem. And then I came along and killed her. That's basically what it, what it amounted to. She took years to die, curled up in a fetal position. Couldn't feed me, couldn't hold me as a baby. And so I had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio. She taught me how to roll my R's, how to speak Spanish. I didn't speak English till I had to go to school in the sixth grade. And then they told me I was not a Mexican. <laughs> I could not get my Hispanic mind around that. I wasn't what I thought I was. Very shocking. One day I looked in the mirror and I, th I saw I wasn't what I thought I was. I come home and they tell me, you're unemployable. I'm not what I thought I was. Throughout our lives, we come to those moments of self-discovery and we find out we're not the God we thought we were. <laughs> you know, Caesar had a, a servant that fanned him and stood behind him as the throngs and crowds heralded him as a, you're a God, not a man. And he actually had a servant behind him that said, you're a man, not a God. We get self-inflated sometimes to think we're something we're not, and we are so valuable to ourselves, we don't really need God. But I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. God had a plan for my life, and there wasn't a devil in or out of hell big enough to pluck me out of the hand of God. You belong to Jesus. This is my stirring address, my, my oratory to you to impress you if I can. I'm telling you, we've come through a pandemic that the world worldwide panicked at, terrified at, and it put them in bondage. I'm going to read a scripture from you that I found yesterday. It's, it's an amazing scripture, and it comes from, let me swell that up, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. And I want you to hear this. He delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All their lives, they were subject to bondage because of fear. Say the word fear. You know what you've just uttered? The word that is opposite of faith. If you live in fear, you live in bondage. You hear me? Now, I'm going to say a few things you need to hear. I'm going to, I know there's a little movement, but we're going to be fine. I want you to stay with me. I do all the right things that they tell me to do from the CDC. I do my best. I wear the mask. I social distance. My wife and I both did. We did exactly what they said to do, and she died. Am I going to live the rest of my life in fear? You think I'm going to live like, oh, read what's left of my lips. <laughs> I walk by faith, not by fear. I live by faith, not by fear. I am a free man because I am not in bondage by fear of death. I have faith, faced the death angel so many times. That rascal, we know each other by first names. My name's Dave. His name is Ugly. 
I'm trying to tell you, get off of your stretcher, America. Get back on your horse and ride. Ride that horse. I got that from a painting that I've never seen, but I've been told about, of George Washington when he was still general before he was president. And the picture is him helping a wounded soldier back on the horse, and the caption underneath says, General Washington comforts the soldier. Comforts him. You know what's comfort to me? It's not that I got hurt and I get paid forty or $36,000 a year because I got hurt. That's really nice. I use that money for ministry. I don't need it. I don't live on it. I don't want to be a slave to my government. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to earn my own way as I go. And without a doubt, those that depend on their government instead of their God will never succeed in life. You put your faith in human government, you will get a human response. Put your faith in God, you get a God response. And so the comfort that I'm talking about is not pobrecito, that word poor little guy. My, my word to you is get off the stretcher, get back on the horse. And I want to close, and I'm looking at the clock, and I think I've got about just about right time to do this, to be fair to you. I don't want to keep you too late. This is, this is the comfort wherewith I comfort you. When they brought me to America, they landed that big hospital jet at Lackland Air Force Base. Then they put me on a helicopter and flew me over to Brook Army Medical Center, where I'm a patient to this day. Whenever they got me to Brook Army Medical Center, they put me in the intensive care ward, the ICU, and I didn't know what that meant until they gave me the robe. Four months later, I could stand up. They put this robe on me. It doesn't come together in the back. It's called the ICU. I saw me, and I didn't like that. But that's when I understood what the, the draft meant in the Army. <laughs> oh, that took a minute, but you're listening. They put me in the ICU. That's when my little sweet wife walked in, following a woman who had taken off her ring and threw it on her husband's bed. He was 100% third degree. Threw her ring on the bed and said, you're embarrassing. Couldn't walk down the street with you and walked out. He was the first of 13 of us in there to die. Everyone died but me. I'm the only survivor. All 13 of us in that room were in that room to die. So we wouldn't discourage patients that had a chance to live out on the main ward. She walked out mumbling, you're embarrassed. I thought, oh, God, God, no, please. Dear God, if I've ever begged you, if you've ever heard me, don't let Brenda walk in this room. And the door opened and she walked in. Worse than that, she's wearing a miniskirt. I said, Doc, I'm getting better. <laughs> she walked up to my bed. She kissed what was left in my face. She looked me in my good eye and she said, I just want you to know, I really love you. Welcome home, Davy. And when she says, Davy, <laughs> I said, baby, I'm sorry. She said, why? I said, because I can never look good for you again. She said, baby, you never were good looking anyhow. You see, comfort doesn't come in the package of sugar-coated little nothings. Comfort comes in the reality of knowing 
no matter how hard we've been hit. God told me the other day, suck it up, buttercup. A lot of men lost their wives. Get over it, boy. Be a man. Stand up for what you know is right and go on with a call I put on you before you ever met Brenda. That's my word of encouragement to myself. There's no pity in that. The worst thing about pity is it turns to self-pity. And you're worthless. But with encouragement and taking the lessons learned through suffering, we go from worthless to priceless. I want to be priceless. I want to be something so valuable to God. He says, Dave, I didn't stop those things from happening. I didn't do them. I didn't take you out. I didn't kill her. I didn't shoot you in Vietnam. I didn't set you on fire. God doesn't do evil. Amen. Everybody knows that. But he's the master of taking disaster and turning our tragedies into triumph. So my encouragement to you today is, let's get off the stretcher, America. Let's get back on our horse. As long as there's life, breath, heartbeat, let's fight till the last breath and last heartbeat. Let's stand for what's right. Do what's right. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? Amen. I see you pumping air back there, brother. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I hope today you've been able to pick up on what my heart is. Do we need to have special prayer about something here? Would you be willing to help us out? I know there's something urgent, and I know we need to stop right here. Yeah, let's just all, it, as they're carrying her out, she's in wonderful hands, but even more important, Jesus got his hand on her. Father, we just thank you for our let. We thank you that you care about everything, about every aspect of our life. You are the great physician, and right now we just speak healing over our let. Your hand would be upon her, your hand of healing, and we just give you thanks, we just give you praise, and say, you're in control, and we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for touching and healing Arlette right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We concur. Amen. We all agree together. And I apologize, I, I didn't see that, didn't see her behind you there, I couldn't see it, to respond quicker. Uh, I've had people faint when I tell my story before. I remember one time I was speaking at the International School for the uh, students, the, the children of the diplomats of US, of, of our allied diplomats in Japan. And the teacher that they disliked the most fainted when I was speaking and I was a hero from then on. Uh, but we're going to believe God this will this will be, she'll be just fine. We, we're going to believe that. Well, I'm, I'm concluding, and I'm going to ask you a question. How is it with you? That song resonates. Is it well with your soul? It's, I'm putting it in the form of a question. Is it well with your soul? And if it's not, there's not a better time or place than right here, right now. And if not you, who? And if not now, when? 
What would it take for you to make a commitment to Christ if you don't know him? And I'm going to make this really easy for you because Jesus did the hard part. He died that we might live and he's only asked us to live and make his death not a loss but a gain. So I'm going to ask you to follow me in a prayer. And if you, like myself, if we're in right relationship with God, let's renew our vows this morning. But as we who are serving the Lord are, make, are renewing our vows, if you're not in right relationship with God, you can't, you can't get a better setting than to make your vows. Commit your heart to Christ this morning. In a place that loves people like this place, you're in, you're in a safe place. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this prayer and we'll repeat it, making our vows for those of you that need to make vows, renewing our vows for those that need to renew your vows. Let's do that together right now. Would you do that with me? Let's start out. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, you're in your house. I'm in your house. I'm in your presence. I came to your house and you met me here where you said there, there, I will commune with thee. There, I will meet with thee. And you did what you said you would. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me what I ought to be. As I confess, you are risen from the dead. You are the Son of God. You are coming back for me. I repent of all my sins. I accept you as my Savior. And today I declare, I am born again. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap off for any side. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm happy to tell you, there's new names written down in glory today. Amen. And for those of us that have prayed that prayer many times in renewal of our vows, we're not saying that we've failed and we're not serving God and to start all over. We're renewing our vows. Like if you make a marriage vow and you renew it, you don't have to go back and get remarried. But I want us to never forget our first love and the zeal and the joy of our first love and our vows. So with all that said, I want to tell you that I do, I hope I've not distressed this dear heart with my story. That, that would break my heart immensely. But I want you to know I've, I've, I landed in a safe place for a difficult day. And I thank you for your love for me. And the love that I have for you. And if you're a visitor today, come back because the love, the love's here every day. It's here every, this is the busiest church I've ever seen in my life. I parked my motor coach over there, which I bought for my wife so we could go to this tour and tour for the next five years in that coach. She got sitting in it one time before she passed. We made all of our plans to come here together. So I don't have any memories of her traveling in that with me, but I'm going to tell you this. You can look for that coach again in that parking lot. One day, it's going to be back. I don't even have to come here to preach. If I come here in the middle of a weekday, there's enough people around here if I need prayer. This is the busiest church I've ever seen. All week long, this place was buzzing with people, just constantly doing. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I didn't know it was supposed to be a weekend retreat. You guys do it right. Thank you. Thank you. I know there's a love offering going to be taken for our ministry quickly so you understand what it's for. I don't get it. I don't take that money. I don't take the money from those sales. 
Those products, I take absolutely zero sales percentage and no royalties. Never have and I never will, God willing. And here's why. Because God takes care of me through my military retirement and through my Social Security. And I'm proud to tell you my country has taken good care of me. I love my country. They've been good to me. When I see things I don't like, I pray about it. I don't write us off. I don't condemn us to hell. But I am going to tell you, if ever we need prayer, we need it now. Moving on, I want you to know that when you're given this offering, I don't get it. By the end of the year, everything that has been given to me in my salary is returned, all of it, and more. So with that said, when you give today, here's what you're helping me with. I'm finishing up an overflow. It's, a, it's an outdoor patio to a brand new gorgeous pavilion built for me by Hobby Lobby at our Texas ranch. We just finished pouring the concrete floor in it and we did that last because I didn't want concrete and I wanted it to be the old Brush Harbor, uh, what they call it, sawdust, but wheelchairs that tip over in it. So we had to pour a concrete floor. That's already paid for. The, the, the uh, materials for the overflow, the huge patio, it's as big as half this audience, half this, this auditorium. We've already paid for the material, but we got to pay for the labor, and it's about 15000 Depending on what I did last Sunday, and I'm not certain yet, but whatever that is, it'll deduct against it, you can help me with that. If you want to help, you can do that. If you gave a gift of $1,000 or more, Pastor will let me know. I don't have to know your name or anything, but if you gave a gift of 1000 Banker Insurance, the largest independent agent in Texas, matches $1,000 to $100,000 gifts every first Monday of the month. And if you give a gift of $1,000 or more, it has to come from an individual or from a company. It's worth double, no matter what that gift is. If it's $10,000, it's worth twenty. So I want you to know that. Now, you have to understand again, I'm willing to ask because I don't get the money. But if you give that, you know what you're doing? You're helping my warriors get through our program, and they've never paid a penny. All my sales go, they don't go to the patio. The sales all go to uh, scholarships. Ronnie, how much have you ever paid to come through a program? Zero. That seal, he's, he's out, he's medic. He wanted to make sure if he could help. He's, why, I know that's why he left. Uh, he's never paid a penny to come through. And they've come, does, matter of fact, they just came directly from here to here from a program that would close Friday night at the tech, at the Colorado Ranch and had a huge celebration and graduation of these warriors reconnecting with family, friends, and faith. So that's what you're giving to when you help me. At our table, if you gave a gift there, pastor will know about it. It'll be matched, but you'll get a report before I'm out of this building. Thank you for letting me share my heart. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approved of this message. I love you.